Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Melissa Donaldson. Melissa has been a senior diversity and inclusion strategist for the past 12 years. According to Cranes, she was the first director of inclusion practices at CDW and the first director of diversity networks and communication at Walgreens. She is now an SVP and chief diversity officer at Wintrust Financial. Well, today's guest is Melissa Donaldson. Uh, We're super excited to have you here. Thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So would you mind starting um, by giving a a little bit of background about who you are and introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. So I am the uh, Senior Vice President and Chief Diversity Officer for Wintrust Financial Corporation, Um, certainly based here in Chicago. Most people don't realize our corporate office is actually out in Rosemont, which is where my office is. Um, More people are familiar with the various banks associated with our 15 uh, charter community banks located around the city. Um, Wintrust is also a uh, specialty financial services firm as well, offering wealth management, mortgage, asset finance, etc. So I've been with the organization for about three and a half years. Uh, this is actually my third industry, third company leading diversity and inclusion practices. So I have experience now in financial services to go along with my experience in retail and in technology. So I kind of have a mosaic kind of a background, been um, leading diversity inclusion for about 14 years total at this point. And it continues to evolve and change and keeps me on my toes. So um You know, I look forward to this discussion because I know innovation is at the forefront of what your firm does. And so um, it's it's been a great experience so far. Fantastic. And you mentioned you've been involved for for 14 years in the D&I space and a very impressive career. Can you share a little bit about how you ended up in your role as SVP of uh, Chief Diversity Officer of Wintrust? Sure. You know, and I, I will I will preface this by saying I think DNI found me. I, I, I didn't go looking for it. <laughs> so, um, you know, many people uh, become uh, leaders in the diversity and inclusion space or diversity and inclusion practitioner by coming in through some door associated with human resources. So either through recruiting or generalist role or 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 leading a uh, H&R, I'm sorry, HR operation on some level. My story is completely different. Um, I didn't spend any time in human resources uh, prior to getting into DNI. Uh, to make a really long, winding story really short, um, many years ago um, in the early 90s, I was with a technology firm uh, at that point uh, that really doesn't exist anymore. I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio. So I was with a technology firm um, uh, that had an office in Dayton, Ohio. I was in sales. Uh, I was uh, my customer was the um, federal government in uh, the Department of Defense. I, I lived and worked near a uh, uh, Air Force base. And so this company, which was based in Boston, it was Digital Equipment Corporation. They had a formal diversity inclusion practice. 
And I found myself um, uh, being involved in a number of programs that allowed me to connect directly with some of the senior executives that frankly were African-American, looked like me, had very interesting stories. Um, so I, I got exposure to what I now know is a business resource group uh, through that initial introduction. Uh, just continuing to wind through that, um, eventually, really fast forward, coming to Chicago, my husband and, and our family transferred here with a job he had received. And I continued on in sales. I was selling, I was in print at the time, and I was selling to um, the uh, uh, city of Chicago, Cook County, you know, many of the public entities. And I noticed that I was the only one who was selling to these public institutions, whereas my counterparts, my um, younger counterparts, frankly, my Caucasian counterparts were selling to very lucrative, profited organizations. And so I recognized then that there was definitely inequity in how assignments were being laid out. I also experienced at that time that I had lost business because, you know, dealing with public institutions, you know that there is a requirement around having some of your resources go towards women and minority owned businesses if you aren't yourselves certified as such, which my company was not. So I know firsthand what it's like to lose business because you did not have partnerships in place that allowed you to uh, share some of that uh, opportunity with women and minority owned businesses. So I started to learn a lot more about supplier diversity at that time. Um, and then, you know, just a series of getting then into leadership development, doing learning and development um, for a technology firm here in Chicago. One thing just led to another. And frankly, I created a business case for our senior executive team at the time and said, what do you think about starting a practice that focused on diversity and inclusion because of who our customers were, because times were evolving. It was the early uh, late 90s, getting into the early 2000s at that point. And it was really something that had us really focused on as a competitive advantage. So, um, you know, over time, I've just continued to build, you know, my platform around that. I first and foremost for me. It's about um, talent development, leadership development, and, and how we integrate with all the other parts of the operation um, in general. So uh, I, my last stop before coming to Wintrust was with um, Walgreens. So I was the director of diversity networks and communications at Walgreens, um, had been there about four and a half years at the time, and Wintrust somehow found me in the woods. So, um, and they wanted to start a diversity and inclusion practice. Um, they wanted to live up to their motto of being Chicago's bank, which I thought was noble and really quite interesting to me. Um, and so that's how I landed, uh, where I am now. And, and, um, it's been a great ride. I've got a, a very, very supportive, um, senior executive team. I report directly to Ed Waymer, who's the CEO. Um, and, you know, we're continuing to uh, forge new ground for the organization. And I think it's uh, it's working out well.
Fantastic. I warned you it was going to be a windy story. <laughs> no, I think that's great. And I'm sure our listeners will love it as well. So one of the things that I think is, is tough for a lot of leaders is drawing the, the parallel between diversity inclusion efforts and innovation. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between those two? You know, I think that innovation it is a natural extension of diversity and inclusion. And one might even say that diversity and inclusion is a natural extension of innovation. You know, there is not a company that exists who can be successful without great talent. So, you know, an entrepreneur can have a great idea, get the funding for the idea, but may not have all of the expertise and depth of knowledge as to how to bring that idea to life, right? And I think that's where innovation comes into play and being able to look around the table and say, are we maximizing our decision-making opportunities by ensuring that we have different perspectives around the table? And if we don't have different perspectives around the table, more than likely we are robbing ourselves of an opportunity to ensure that we're turning everything, these ideas inside out to ensure that we're building the best mousetrap um, as we can. Um, And so you never know where a great idea is going to come from. Uh, So, you know, one of the things that we really promote is around um, having increased uh, cultural competence or intercultural competence. So it's not about, you know, what's an appropriate handshake. It's about what don't I know that I need to know? in order to get the most out of the talent that I have. And, you know, there are a lot of organizations that say we want our, you know, people are our best asset and we want people to bring great ideas, but they do nothing to really stimulate uh, the development of those ideas. And so I think it really leaves a gap in uh, between what has been accomplished and what's possible to accomplish. So, um, you know, from a diverse inclusion standpoint, you know, I often ask leaders, what if, what if we tried this? What if we looked at things, you know, another way? What if we decided to go into this area uh, and with our eyes wide open so that we can um, diminish the potential for making mistakes uh, going in? Um, so innovation, I don't think um, can happen uh, well without an emphasis on diversity and inclusion in some way. Now, that's not to say that an organization has to have a formal diversity and inclusion practice in order to be innovative or in order to encourage creativity. But there's certainly some um, methodologies in terms of just getting people to open up and to learn more about each other that stimulates that um, and, and increases the capability for new idea flow and ideation uh, to be created. I love that. And one thing that you said that really resonates with me, you you mentioned maximizing the decision-making opportunities. Mm-hmm. Can we double-click into that a little bit? Would you mind describing some of those opportunities that, that are potentially not maximized or maximized as a result of putting more of a lens on uh, DNI? Well, you know, I think, for example, um, If, you know, a number of companies are thinking about, you know, how do we reopen our doors to let, you know, our employees come back to work? 
So let's kind of like set the customer aside for a second. And how do we open our doors to begin encouraging employees to come back to work? Now, if we only looked at that through the lens of, well, everybody has health benefits and everybody's in a good situation and everybody is going to be happy to come back together and be able to see each other. Really? You know, so, so, you know, it, it's an example of where if we don't say that might be how I feel, but how is someone else going to think about that? And let's try and put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. Let's even maybe get them on the phone and ask them, what should we be thinking about? Um, because, you know, there's some individuals that are going to have layers of challenges with coming back into an office. And there's some other vendors who are going to skip into the office, you know, um, and understanding um, that the way we have trudged along for a number of years, it's going to be different. And how are we going to ensure that we're sort of looking through, at things through sort of a prism that helps us to make the best decisions um, um, for people. That's just one example of, of taking steps to maximize your decision making, um, so that it is not narrow, um, that you're able to take as broad of a brush as you can before you decide what is best for our organization, regardless of perhaps what our competitors have done or what other organizations have done. What is best for our organization at this point in time? I think that's such a great example. And, you know, obviously, as we're recording this, we're in the, the, the middle of the, the um, COVID-19 pandemic. And there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, when we're going back, you know, when offices are safe. But one of the things that you mentioned really was around the concept of empathy, right, and asking mm-hmm. those questions. And it, it's interesting because one of the things that I've noticed Everybody has a different story in terms of their background and what this um, um, stay at home mandate has resulted in for them, whether they're a parent of, you know, four young kids or if they have adult children or if they have um, if they're single or if they have pets or if they, you know, have a um, pre-existing medical condition, all of these things are are questions to ask in that with an empathetic lens in terms of, you know, how how should this feel these next steps in terms of the organizational uh, change. So it, I, I think that's a great point, and it's I think it's important an important point for the listeners to know how empathy can help drive some of their innovation efforts related to DNI. Absolutely. Be, you know, being more empathetic, being more informed and being more um, aware and, and, and frankly, being more respectful, I think are going to be primary formulas to to being able to bounce back. I don't care where you are um, in the in the in the supply chain, if you will. I, I think all of the above are going to be really, really important. So DNI has has been somewhat of a, a, a recent move into the C-suite. Um, we're starting to see chief diversity officers like yourself. We're starting to see different organizations. You mentioned HR kind of morphing into um, or extending into some of these DNI specific roles. 
Um, what what does this mean for the future of diversity and inclusion efforts, uh, specifically in businesses and how they move forward? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Adam, that um, having chief diversity officers isn't really a new thing. Um, diversity and inclusion has been morphing since the 40s, believe it or not, since the 1940s. Um, and it's kind of evolved from, you know, creating more understanding around diversity, um, you know, bringing in more different people, you know, into the organization. And then how do we understand these new people, <laughs> you know, um, valuing diversity? Um, and then eventually it shows up as um, leveraging inclusion which is where I really um, sort of land. And, you know, and I, and I kind of describe that in, in a bit of a, in a bit of a tongue in cheek, because um, I think it's really important. Language is really important, especially in this work. And I think that oftentimes terms get very conflated uh, when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Diversity and inclusion are not the same thing. Diversity is how people are different, <laughs> sort of point blank. <laughs> it's a differentiator versus inclusion is the actions that we take to get the greatest utilization out of those wonderful differences that we've invested in and brought into the organization. And we've got to be clear about what what um, what's really driving one versus the other. And then I see more layering on of equity and belonging and all this. And I think that as practitioners, we have to be very careful about, frankly, scope creep. You know, like, let's get back to why are we doing this in the first place, <laughs> you know, and then deal with the alphabet suit behind that. Um, but I think first and foremost, we have to drive this notion that diversity and inclusion is an everybody issue. It's not just about women, not just about people of color, not just about protected veterans and individuals with disability. It is about it is also about the able bodied white male in senior leadership also. <laughs> you know, so it is an everybody issue and there's more for everybody to understand more about. So um, I have seen um, diversity and inclusion roles go anywhere from. L&D to organizational development to, um, you know, reporting to right to a chief um, executive officer. I've kind of seen the gambit, but I think ultimately it really depends on what makes the most sense for a particular organization. There really is not one size fits all um, that, you know, a practitioner has to stand back and really be clear about my organization is like X today. So what is my as is? And then what is my to be? Where are we trying to move towards? And what's going to help us be able to get there? So really understanding the motives of the organization um, is really critical. Um, I think people oftentimes get confused about, well, is diversity inclusion about community engagement or is it about recruiting or is it about 
uh, supplier diversity? Like, what is it about? And in some cases, it's all the above. It really depends on what your organization is in need of. And sometimes organizations like ours, for example, we have a different team that focuses on uh, community impact, completely different from my team. I interact with them a lot, but that is their responsibility, right? Many other organizations, it's one and the same group. So it really just depends on being clear about your organization, your industry, um, what's um, what's really happening. For example, are there some legal issues that you're trying to address? You know, are you um, losing great talent because individuals don't feel like you create an environment where they can be successful? Um, you know, so, you know, I could go on and on about different reasons uh, that an organization might want to start a diversity and inclusion practice and maybe where it might land. But it really is a case by case um, basis. But it really starts with being very, very realistic about um, what success is going to look like. So for us, you know, we are Chicago's bank and we also say we're Wisconsin's bank because we have a large presence in Wisconsin and in the Milwaukee area as well. So, you know, going from saying that you are going to be something and actually being able to manifest that is in many ways an exercise in advancing diversity and inclusion as well. At least that's the way I see it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of my story. I'm sticking to it kind of thing. <laughs> um, and along the way, kind of celebrating the small wins. So, you know, not to get too hung up on, you know, what the window dressing is, but really being able to ensure that we're paying attention to um, what our uh, uh, what the signals are, both internally and ex- externally, that requires a need to make a change. You mentioned um, one size does not fit all. And I think that's such an important point because so many organizations look differently from the, their business goals or the kind of the, the places that they operate in and the industries that they serve. Um, but for listeners that that are uh, in charge of diversity for their respective organizations and they're and they're trying to get more buy-in um, from senior executives. How would you recommend that they go about communicating uh, the value of diversity as it relates to innovation? Gets back to documenting that as is and the to be. So at first you got to start with some degree of assessment, right? So why am I here? You know, um, I think some people find themselves in a diversity and inclusion role, quite frankly, by the way they look. Right. Why me? (laughs) Why am I the one all of a sudden that has charge for fixing something? Right. So I think really being clear and having a plan, documenting a plan as to um, how an organization could evolve um, and then checking in with various key stakeholders and influencers along the way. You know, I often say that, sure, the C-suite, the chief executive officer has a tremendous role in ensuring success here, but they aren't the only ones who have a role to play. So looking for those champions at the top, the middle and the front line are all going to be important because, for example, if you decide that the organization is going to have business resource groups or employee networks or association networks or whatever version of alphabet soup comes together to describe 
um, that particular intervention, then um, you want to make sure that those frontline employees are also engaged and supportive of the work as well. So, you know, um, getting those influencers at various levels. So if it's not the C-suite, then what's that one click down? Maybe you can start with someone at that next, you know, maybe the E-suite, you know, the executive leaders um, or the senior executive leaders that you can tap into to say, how does this feel? Does How do you think this will go over? Do you think we're ready for this? Um, where would you suggest I start? Can you look at this plan that I have and tell me where are the gaps that you see? Um, and can I get your support to help uh, to be able to promote this or to position this um, with the appropriate individuals? Because, yes, you absolutely will need that tone from the top. Um, but sometimes you've got to maybe backdoor your way into getting that. Um so, uh, you know, I would say to a new practitioner, perhaps, you know, don't be so in love with what you perceive to be the glitz and glam um, of DNI, because sometimes that never shows up. But, <laughs> but um, be very clear about um, who might be your top five business leaders you might go to to sort of pitch your wares and talk about what it would take. Um, and then maybe even, you know, notice if there's a particular leader that really does seem to get it, so to speak, and not just in words, but in deed as well, um, and highlight those stories. You know, here's what Bob James in finance is doing. Um, he's, you know, his engagement scores have just accelerated by 50% since we started doing some training or something like that. Um, because you know what? Competi competition can be intoxicating. People don't want to feel like I'm at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I want to do what he's doing uh, because he's getting recognition or she's getting recognition. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know? So um, the last part I would say is to be gracious, uh, with the fact that not everybody is going to be at the same place. Uh, people see this very differently, and there are plenty of people who still see it as a personal attack for whatever reason. If I, if I show um, some um, uh, uh, appreciation or support for advancing diversity and inclusion, then that means I'm going to lose something, and I can't afford to lose anything. Um, so that's where some of them working through some of their own um, their own cultural makeup, which a lot of people don't realize they have a cultural makeup. So what is it that causes you to feel like you're going to lose something? And um, as a leader, what can you do to work through that? Um, so, you know, it, it, it's it, it gets uh, also gets back to that being empathetic um and being informed uh, kind of around where individuals are, where the organization is, where it was and where it's headed um, and using that to continue to strengthen your strategy and your plan uh, and frankly, your business case um, at, as time evolves. I'm curious with your specific role as chief diversity officer, 
what accomplishment are you most proud of uh, from your time so far? I would say that I am most proud of the um, openness and the support that our senior leaders have provided me and my team and what we're trying to promote. Um, You know, I I have said many times publicly, and I'll say it here again, um, Ed Waymer has been very, um, very, very supportive in helping to get uh, whatever I needed um, and get me his personal support to help stand up a diversity and inclusion practice for Wind Trust when, um, you know, it was, I think we was at the 20, their 25th anniversary um, when I came on board 25 years prior that didn't exist. So it wasn't something that, um, you know, maybe had even been in the purview when he first started the first bank um, in back in 1991, 1992 in Lake Forest. And um, I, to now, you know, 25 plus years later, us having, as you mentioned uh, previously, having Black History Month programs that are really, you know, integrating, you know, our customers and the community and our team members. And, um, you know, now we do have uh, business resource groups alive in our organization and the executive support that has gone behind that as individual sponsors. Um, we just um, have seen a number of promotions that, you know, that uh, included a number of females being promoted to uh, very, very, very senior level roles in the organization, which was in many cases a first. Um, and so it's it's those, those incremental wins that um, I'm very, 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 proud of to be a part of bringing um, some information to the organization that ha- they have found helpful, that they have been willing to try and put into play, and that in many ways they have looked back and said, you know, um, we have benefited um, financially. We have benefited uh, business-wise. We have benefited from this new awareness by being able to interact with our customers um, differently on some levels or even get new customers um, because of that. So, um, you know, I take a lot of pride uh, in that and, and whenever possible that I'm able to engage in some of those discussions as, as you know, there's thoughts about what new neighborhoods we might go into to stand up, you know, to open up a branch or what have you. Um, being able to offer greater insights that as a group, we can again maximize our decision-making capabilities so that we can go into these situations um, as prepared as we possibly can be. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of that. What a great impact you've had indeed. Um, I have one last question and it's the most important question of the day. Okay. Actually, two, two questions. What's the one app that you can't live without on your phone? You know, Adam, I have so I have probably about two dozen apps on my phone. Most of which don't get used that much. But there's one that I have been using more. So if if you don't count, you know, Zoom app and you don't count 
a LinkedIn app, uh, which I do use frequently as well. But I would say the one that I have really been using the most is my fitness pal. And that's because at the beginning of 2020, you know, I was in the space of, you know, new me, new year, new me uh, kind of thing. And so I really got into more uh, focusing on health and well-being and, and uh, being more fit. And so that has been my meal tracker and my exercise tracker and things like that. So I'm kind of chained to that on a daily basis. Fantastic. And <laughs> obviously uh, an essential app for uh, for health, for sure. Yes. Um, curious is the follow up question to that is during this, this quarantine, um, do you have a, a favorite binge um, TV show, a binge worthy TV show that you've been watching or gravitating to? You know, it's it's really interesting. I have not done a lot of binging. I have to say, I, just, I really haven't. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me what's happened with my time, but I've been doing a lot of binging. Um, but one of the shows that I did watch that I really enjoyed and I watched all of the episodes was The Morning Show. Okay. Which was a uh, with uh, Jennifer Aniston and um, uh, Reese Witherspoon on Apple TV. Yep. Uh, that was really good. I, I watched the whole program for that. My husband and I have been enjoying The Last Dance. Nice. Uh, so uh, that documentary has been really interesting, huh? Of course. Which, of course. That, that that has been really interesting. But other shows have just been, you know, episode here, here and there. Um, I thought when we went on Shelter in Place, I said, I'm going to catch up on Queen Sugar. Haven't seen one episode. So, <laughs> so, so uh, I, I'll get there. Any recommendations? Well, the, the last dance certainly is at the top of my list, but uh, I've also been watching uh, Yellowstone, which is on Paramount, um, and it's Kevin Costner. Uh, okay. It's a great, great show. And as a matter of fact, season uh, three, I believe, is premiering this summer. So, uh, The okay. Billions has also recently yeah. came on, on, on Showtime. Yeah. So. Um, the financial services world and investment world. So that yeah, is yeah. A, a favorite show of mine. Good stuff. Well, I appreciate the time today. Um, if the listeners are interested in following you or Wintrust online, uh, is there any particular site you want to direct them to or social media? Sure. So our website for Wintrust is uh, www.wintrust.com. Um, and we do have a diversity inclusion play page that's available. You can watch some of the things that we're doing there. Um, personal social media is, um, they can follow me on LinkedIn or, um, my Twitter is at Melissa Bass Don two. Um, and, uh, that's about as far as I go. I'm on Instagram too, with that same handle. Um, but I don't check that one as much. <laughs> so that's what I have an adult kids do for you. Um, and then certainly at Wintrust is also a handle that they can follow as well. Fantastic. Well, it was a pleasure. And thank you for uh, your time today and stay happy and healthy. The pleasure was all mine, Adam. Thank you so much. And thank you for your staff for all of their assistance and kindness. Um, but it's been great uh, conversing with you, and I look forward to talking with you in the future.
Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time.